Lovely. So hello everyone and welcome. I'm Camilla Jansen. I'm a GP in the New Forest in Hampshire and I am excited to present this webinar for you today in conjunction with the Wessex LMC. I think e-consults and stemming the flow is the big question that lots of people are wanting to answer because um, the world has gone a little bit crazy, e-consults are coming thick and fast. So this webinar is going to be an hour long. I'm going to try and wrap up promptly at eight o'clock so that we can all um, have our evenings as well. Um, so first of all, e-consultations. Do you love them or hate them? What do you feel about them? Have you found a way to use them to your advantage yet? Or are you sinking under a black cloud of e-consult begrudging their very existence? How can you make the system work for you? So in my mind, GPs are open to an increasing barrage of unfiltered requests from patients coming thick and fast from all angles, exponentially increasing in numbers, compounded by the unregulated e-consult influx, as well as many other issues such as secondary care delays and inaccessibility, increasing workload and demand, especially as we move into the recovery phase of COVID. The younger generations are technologically savvy. They don't think twice about firing off an e-consult or even two or three in a day if they fancy it. They are feeling entitled to access GP help. And it's a far cry from the older generations who wouldn't bother a GP unless they were absolutely on their deathbed. So GPs are busier than ever. Phone lines can be a long wait. People have cottoned on to the fact that you can play the system and if email the surgery you can get a response pretty quickly and something needs to be done before we get swamped. So how can you make e-consults work for you and your practice? So first of all I want to introduce Dr Hannah Yates. She's a GP partner in Hedgeend in um, Southampton. Hannah's practice was one of the early adapters of e-consultations and they now utilize e-consultations to streamline their workflow effectively and strongly promote e-consultations. So just to let you know, if you put your view on speaker view and, I, and hopefully Hannah will come up when she's speaking and she's gonna share her screen now. So welcome Hannah and thank you. Thanks Camilla. I'll just get my slides up now. Hopefully you've got that title yep. slide now coming through. We can see that now well, thank you. Thank you. What a great introduction. We are flooded <laughs> um, in summary, so I'm not going to uh, promise to uh, answer all of that, but um, I just wanted to give you a, a snapshot of, of our practice as a case study, um, I guess, and um, it may be that you already use eConsult or some other platform um, we're very biased, as Camilla said, we've used it for a long time. Um, so yeah, but use us as a, as a case study to see how, how we make it work for us. Um, so my hat's on, a, as Camilla said, I'm a GP partner at Hedgeend. Um, I'm a trainer, um, LMC rep, and I'm a um, trustee for our teenage drop-in centre as well, just a little bit of a plug for that, for young people in the area wishing to access help. Um, so... Uh, just give you sorry so just to give you our practice in a nutshell just so you've got some context um to put this into um so we're fairly large practice not as large as London, but, uh, 
Um, so just over 17,000 patients and rising rapidly due to all the new build uh, houses going up around us. Um, that's our clinical team, which is increasing all the time, um, currently recruiting, which I think lots are. Um, it's not enough of us, of course. Um, and our uh, population is sort of young families, but also quite a lot of elderly. Um, and I think what's often thought about eConsult is that it's for younger people, but actually we've been surprised at how willing our older population are to use it. Um, and quite a lot of our patients in their 70s, 80s now um, do happily submit an eConsult having got used to it. Um, so that's great. Uh, and obviously we've all got hopefully now our allied roles going um, in our networks, um, which add to our clinical team and extend the um, appointment availability um, that we have to feed e-consult through to. Um, so it's about using everybody. Um, so we originally funded it um, ourselves, uh, due to having a very sort of keen uh, IT partner who you may know, Carl Graham at CCG. Um, and our practice manager's done a lot of e-consult training as well in the area, um, so she may well have visited your practice. Um, and we've carried on really with the commitment to it because of trying to free up the phone lines. Nobody can ever have enough phone lines. Um, so that was the idea of, of freeing them up for the vulnerable groups trying to get through on the phone. Um, and I think that, has, that does work to some degree, but of course there's, there's never enough. Um, we're not going to meet the current demand, certainly. Um, so just to go through our sort of uh, how we've evolved it. Um, so originally I remember, which is very strange to think about when we used to get about 20 a day, um, which our practice manager started off uh, booking in to our duty system. Um, so we've always incorporated it into our on the day capacity essentially. Um, so I know a few practices that sort of see it as an extra work stream coming in and I think that's really the wrong way to, to go about it and it needs to be integrated um, into your existing appointments and capacity and, and parts of that intrinsically. Um, as as eConsult has evolved and we've got more and more patients using it, um, they are of course using it for all sorts of things, not just the on the day stuff. Um, and we are now booking more eConsults as routine uh, routine appointments essentially um, or using it to get continuity back so patients can put in an e-consult and say I want to speak to this GP and we'll book that for a week two weeks time um, that's that's clinically appropriate. Um, I think you always have to bear in mind how it's been designed so it does need to be looked at by a clinician um, and that's what it's indemnified for. Uh, so if a patient puts in an administrative e-consult, that can be dealt with by um, an administrator. Um, but if it's under a, a clinical problem or clinical heading um, or a symptom, um, then it does need a comment from a clinician having reviewed it. But it doesn't need to be the clinician entering that comment. Um, so you can have an administrator alongside you entering that, um, that review, essentially, um, to reduce the GP workload. Um, so that's some of our kind of that's our rough figures that we get a day uh, so, so we do get a lot um, our patients do love it and we will as I say we've always pushed it um, so it's kind of a product of its own success really um, and I won't say that we're coping with current numbers because I don't think anybody is 
Um, but most recently, the thing that's made the real difference is having the administrator alongside us. Um, so I'll go into detail in a second of how we book them day to day in that, that process. Um, but we now have a booking coordinator role. Um, ours is called Leah, and I think everyone needs a Leah because she is magic on the day. Um, so she books all the e-consults once we've reviewed them essentially. Um, and she's also there to troubleshoot on the day issues with the GT team, juggling appointments around, sorting stuff that just needs, needs sorting there and then, which is fantastic. Um, we've got our GT team every day, which is two GPs and uh, a couple of AMPs. And then we've got other GT appointments with other clinicians as well. And the majority of e-consult feeds into that. Um, and we've got Leah, who's always um, kind of up to date. Uh, with what's available at our hub, for example, with the MSK practitioner, the psychologists. Um, she's always aware of, of that capacity as well, so we can make full use of it. Uh, so I just thought I'd mention out of our switch off because I think that's been talked about quite a bit. Um, some practices I'm aware have started switching off uh, e-consult overnight or at weekends. Um, we've decided not to do that and, and won't be certainly for the time being. Um, it would be quite a mixed message for our patients because we've always pushed it so heavily. Um, and we don't get, I think Camilla mentioned the sort of patients that sit there and, and submit them in the evening, maybe they've got nothing better to do. We don't see a lot of that, um, to be honest. Most of ours are fairly sensible, um, but every practice is different and you know, you've got to do what, what's right for your population. So I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer to that. Uh, so, so this is our actual, so this is what we do day to day, our actual flow of e-consults. So obviously it comes in via email. Um, not sure if you're all aware, but it now integrates directly with the uh, clinical system. So it matches the patient details. Uh, so we don't have to do all of that and it doesn't have to be uploaded into the record anymore. So that's all very much streamlined. And that's, I believe that's a functionality you can just turn on and it, it will do that. Um, but my practice manager could certainly give you more detail on that um, if you're unsure. Um, and then anything administrative is screened out um, and the GTGP essentially sits and works through the clinical list every day, half eight to 10, um, alongside Leah, the booking coordinator. And she's got a template where she enters um, our decision, basically. Um, so she's putting down that one's for MSK next week, that one's for GP today, etc. Um, and then patients get a direct message back. Um, so the, the GP doing that triage, obviously it does need to be, uh, sorry, just move on my slides. Uh, it does need to be rapid decision making. Um, so we are looking at them 30, 60 seconds, um, a lot of them, and, and managing it. Um, and as I say, booking into either a continuity slot or an on-day slot or with the hub. Um, so we're trying to get to the patient to the right person the first time. Um, but they might go to the pharmacist, they might go to the pharmacy technician, um, as long as it's been looked at by a GP um, or a clinician, sorry. So advanced nurse practitioners could do this role as well. Um, we are going to try that, um, just not sure if they would uh, be as rapid with the decision making because they're much more protocol uh, led, but that's definitely an option and that would be indemnified as well. 
Um, so I think that we take out about 10 to 15 percent of ours by looking at them. Um, and I will, for example, I do a lot of texting. So I think I mentioned um, on a slide earlier, we use a lot of Accurics, which I'm sure you're all using as well. Um, and a lot of these, you know, they can be COVID queries, they can be vaccine queries, they can be minor illness queries. And I think those have started coming in thick and fast because it's easy for the patient to submit it. Um, but similarly, we can you can use it to educate patients and just message them back rather than them getting an appointment every time. Um, and uh, hopefully that that educates. I mean, we're, ne we're never going to um, turn things around uh, the whole hog that we want to. But um, yeah, so a lot of those I would I would text back um, and get away without an appointment, which is is really helpful. Um, and I think when you've got different clinicians triaging, you need to agree which things you're going to book direct face to face. So, for example, anything um, that comes through that's abdo pain, rectal bleeding, gynae, intimate things, we just book straight into a face to face and then you're not duplicating work, um, which is, uh, yeah, saves more appointments, which has to be a win win. So. Those are some of the sort of benefits that I um, consider. So I just mentioned, obviously we save appointments by it. Um, yes, patients, it's a double-edged sword. They they, we are too accessible in a sense, um, but I think you can, you, you can either signpost people to pharmacy, you can message them back, you can you know, not give them an appointment when that's not appropriate. And, and we find that that works. We don't get a lot of bounce back from that. Um, it's improved our team integration um, because with a GP sitting alongside um, a booking administrator, we are sat in reception. So that wouldn't work for every practice, but it's really been interesting to hear what's coming through on the phones. You can answer quick queries at the same time. Um, so it, it's quite an enjoyable bit of the day. Um, and I, I kind of see GPs really as moving towards more of a consultant coordinator on the day. Um, rather than necessarily seeing all the patients um, and kind of we're the ones that can make the rapid decisions to streamline things through to the right the right person the first time um, and I just wanted to mention I, I believe eConsult has a dashboard coming which will make it a lot more obvious as to um, which uh, which which ones are administrative. Um, so our practice managers intimated that that will make a difference as well. Um, but I'm not sure exactly what that involves, but it's coming, I believe that's coming later in the year. Um, and increasingly they're bringing in sort of chronic disease reviews. So there's, a, there's an antidepressant review option. Um, there's a blood pressure review option. So you can use it for a lot of quaff stuff. You can use it as a means of communication. Um, and again, it's freeing up your phone lines. People can just put that in and they can be dealt with again by not necessarily by GPs, but by other, um, other members of the team. So I think that's really helpful. So my take homes are use it to your advantage. Um, kind of don't see it as an extra thing coming in because you, you need to create the time for it and, and the capacity for it and have your administrators alongside doing really as much of the work as, as the decision making. Um, and that then saves the precious GP clinical time, which is obviously the most expensive resource. Um, so integrate it into your system. 
um, and use everybody. Um, so yeah, increasingly I'll, I'll put something through to the pharmacist, the pharmacy tech, um, the, the secretaries even, if it's, you know, patients will put all sorts of things through on e-consult, won't they? Um, but it doesn't all need to be a GP or a, or a nurse. Um, so yeah, I think those are my sort of key, key messages. I think that's been helpful. Thank you, Hannah. That was really helpful. It's nice to sort of see how it's done. Um, I had two quick questions and we're going to move on to Chris's um, presentation and then we'll have open the floor up to questions for everyone else. If you do clinical reviews with the e-consults, does it code into the system the blood pressure and all of the questions that are needed for the quaff? Does it code automatically? No, not automatically. No, so it won't pull things through. So it does um, integrate the patient details automatically. Um, so as you're, as we're sat triaging, we can, for example, if it's just to issue a group prescription, you can go straight in and do that. Um, but no, it doesn't automatically code the, the, the smoking and alcohol and the information it gathers. That needs to be entered by an administrator. Okay, and does your administrator do that at the, in real time or who does that in order for that? Yeah. So not the not the booking coordinator role, but the um, we've got background administrators um, processing um, who do that. Okay, and if you need to book a face to face or a phone consultation on the back of the consult, how do you manage that? Is someone ringing the patient, or are you messaging them and getting them to book an appointment? So we were mess. Uh, so we were messaging. It's a mixture actually. Um, so increasingly with that with the demand rocketing, we're having to push back routine or continuity um, appointments, sorry, not continuity, but routine ones, um, because we were actually building up a waiting list. Um, and that's just reflective of, of the current demand, you know, demand in recent weeks. Um, but essentially a lot, most of them get messaged back um, by the coordinator or by other reception uh, team members. Um, with a slot or just to let them know when the appointment is so they just get a message back as to when that appointment's going to be. Okay and if they can't make that appointment they then need to go through to reception and, and rebook. Yeah yeah. Great I'll ask um, you Hannah I know that you're going to be around for questions in a little bit so I'll ask Chris to do a presentation on how they're working um, so thank you. So Next um, up, we've got Chris Castle, who's a GP in Westlands Medical Centre in Gosport and Portsmouth area. And Chris is going to talk about pre-consulting and how his practice uses this to filter the workload and stem the demand while maximising the use of the PCN team and practice staff. And he will also talk about pod working and how this can help with continuity of care. So thank you, Chris, and I will pass the floor over to you. Okay, hello. So hopefully you can hear me and hopefully you can see the slideshow. Okay, there we go. That's so right I can hear you. Great. So, um, I mean, firstly, there's a lot of similarities between what we're doing. We started at diff uh, between Hannah and, and uh, Hannah's practice and my practice. Uh, we started from, from different positions, but there are some common themes that run through. So, um, I guess, where, where do we start with this? Well, we started uh, probably about a year before COVID hit uh, and had plans to, to sort of implement things 
Um, COVID has obviously accelerated that and uh, we, we don't use eConsult, we use our own forms um, and the, the process of evolving those has been quite sort of iterative. So um, in order to try and summarise some of that thought process, uh, I want to take you on a bit of a journey. Uh, it's a, a bit of a story. So if we look at what we've called our forms, which are um, pre-consult and, and the concept is that you, you start the communication with the patient before they come to see you for the, the appointment. Um, and so if it were a Hollywood uh, blockbuster, um, who would the, um, and I just need to, let me just, you can't see my, uh, we can't see. There we go, that's it, you can see the next slide now. So um, who are the characters? Well, um, I mean, actually, the, the, the villain in all of this is the demand. Uh, we know that uh, that skyrocketed, it's increased, and the supply side of things has never been enough, um, not even in the inception of the NHS. Um, but critically at the moment, um, that demand is driven by more, more people. We have a larger population across the world. People are living longer. We know that they're living with much more disease. Uh, we also know that part of this is that there is an increase in um, health seeking behaviour um, and all of that is leading to a rise in demand, a rise in the cost of providing healthcare. So um, th there's a need across the globe to look at ways of doing things differently, um, trying to gain some efficiencies where possible. So if we look at um, those are the villains. So if you look at who the heroes are, well, that, that's you and me, that's everybody that works in healthcare. Um, we're trying our hardest to, to meet that demand. Um, we're finding new ways. We're actually quite an innovative bunch, um, despite the, uh, the, the the press that sometimes we get. Uh, we're always looking at new ways of doing things, and we're pretty good at engaging with new ways when they do come along. So, um, as seen with the COVID pandemic, we're quite agile in that way. So, um, and what what's the real world? You know, where where have we been with this? Well. I think we're all familiar with the long queues uh, at the front door when we, we sort of turn up to, to surgery um, and um, the, the angry patients uh, frustrated that they can't get through either at the front door or on the telephone. Uh, and we've also seen the, 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 the staff, the, the receptionists, the people answering the phone, having that sort of direct contact with patients, getting that transference of, of anxiety. Um, and um, it's all led to a bit of a sort of boiling pot of frustration. So um, that's where we started. That's what led us to um, look at different ways of doing things. So we felt, and we, we still believe this, that actually um, there is a better world and, and we can achieve that. Uh, there's a better world where the patients are happy, the staff are happy, and, and it's a win-win. Um, and so uh, as I've mentioned, our, our sort of thought process was, well, how can we do that? How can we get to that point? Um, and so we started to think about, you know, where the patients are in their journey. Where do they spend this time, this growing weight at that point, which was um, three to four weeks? What can we start to do with that time? Uh, can we use it um, efficiently to uh, improve the journey and try and sort of expedite things? Um, and so if you can reach out and we use the pre-consult forms, um, to reach out to patients that are waiting um, and start to gather information about why they're presenting to us so that we can uh, uh, um, make their, the consultation that they have with us much more fruitful, uh, make it more efficient, but also work out whether actually we are the best people to be seeing these patients, whether there are other parts of our team, particularly with the additional roles, that um, we should be fast-tracking patient access to. So that, that's the pre-consult form. 
Um, and uh, in terms of the, the practicalities of it, we also felt that the, the pre-consults, the, the, the forms in themselves um, needed to be placed in the structure. And I think Hannah's absolutely right with this. It needs to be integrated into the way that the practice is working. I think if you try and juggle um, any type of online access, which is sort of open, completely open, with um, the, the pre-existing format of bookable appointments, it's a recipe for disaster and being sort of completely overwhelmed. So we decided that we were going to fully embrace the pre-consult forms. Um, that was going to be the, the single most important avenue of access for us. Um, of course, patients can still pick up the form, uh, the phone, sorry, and um, when they do, the receptionist has a streamlined form that they will talk through with the patient. So ultimately, it'll still end up on a form that gets um, triaged. So the, the, the patient is asked right on the front door and, and on our website, there are two boxes. Um, is it urgent for today or is it routine and uh, can be dealt with within our um, self-defined seven day uh, or five working day turnaround time? Um, the uh, on the same day um, forms are processed by an urgent care team, uh, which um, is a, a GP and also a nurse practitioner. Um, and the forms will give uh, information about what the patient feels is their, their, the problem, what they feel is going on and what they feel needs to be done about it. Um, and um, that the, the, the urgent care team will work through that that we put on the urgent care list. They'll churn through. Um, and um, either follow up with a telephone call, um, some they might book in off what the patient has um, put on the forms for a face-to-face, -face, um, or they will um, decide actually it's not urgent for today, um, we need some more information, or um, you know, we're going to ask for a picture for um, a bit more information about the specific condition that we'd expect to be returned shortly to help with your um, consultation process for that day. Um, the Routine forms are managed slightly differently. So they, the, the patients are asked um, who their, their name GP is. And, and when we introduced this process, we sent out a message to everybody on our list indi indicating who their name GP was. Uh, and there was some wriggle room at that point to try and even up the, the lists and try and take into account patient preferences as well. So that, that process went relatively smoothly. Um, and around each GP was put a pod. Um, and in that pod is a, uh, an administrator or, or a care navigator, um, some nursing time, uh, healthcare support time, and um, also uh, additional links with the, the PCN support roles, which are the first contact practitioner, the clinical pharmacist, and the social prescribers. Um, and each, each day um, that the GP is in, they'll sit down, uh, for half an hour with the pod administrator, go through all the forms that have come in over the last 24 hours. Um, and um, we summarize all of the, the little blocks that, the, that where the patient has pretext um, pre uh, their, their complaint. Um, and we'll quickly um, triage at that point um, what, what needs to be done to move that patient's care forward. So um, is it something that, you know, is at a point where we just need to look at um, uh, telephone contact or video contact? Is it something that actually we feel needs to um, be booked straight in for a face-to-face? -face? Or is there um, something that we can find out a bit more information? So we've worked up um, specific forms that will run off this, uh, looking at um, respiratory symptoms, ENT, uh, we've got a, an MSK one, diabetes, hypertension, asthma. Um, we've got one called body, mind and soul, 
which is all about um, the Socrates and ice history taking. Um, we've also got uh, ones to do with um, sort of mental well-being and digging digging a little bit further because sometimes you get the woolly forms in where you just it's not really clear what the patient wants um, from from the contact with you. Um, and we're also mindful of the fact that um, text message and telephone is not always the the right form of contact for that patient. Um, and that again is taken into account with the forms that we're using and we might actually say look, we need some further information um, to the care net to the pod um, administrator or the care navigator can you book this patient in with one of the healthcare support workers or, or the nurse to um, actually do a face-to-face -face to find out this information um, knowing that that will happen probably within the week um, and um, that that will then help us um, the GP decide how best to to manage that patient um, the, the other thing that's important to note, I think, is that um, every day, uh, we call it the 1230 list, all of the pod forms that have come into the surgery um, routine wise um, over the last 24 hours are screened by a GP to make sure that there isn't anything there that shouldn't be there and would be better managed by the urgent care team. Um, so it, it's fluid um, and the urgent care team similarly can decide that there is stuff that's on the same day. Um, list that actually is better managed by the routine um, and the really important thing that I, I haven't really mentioned so far is that underpinning all of this and the reason why we did all of this was that we wanted to get back to continuity of care um, as the, the best thing for the staff for us for our patients that's that was the, uh, the, the 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 thing that we really held above all else and what we wanted to try and get back to so um, we will tell patients that look um, it doesn't look like um, your, your uh, complaint, your concern, your condition is going to be best managed by the urgent care team. Um, it would be better managed by somebody who knows you, knows your condition and can provide that continuity of care. Um, and um, that communication will be sent out either via um, an AccuRx um, or it'll be a, a, a telephone contact with them. And on an urgent care day, we'll typically get between 60 to 80 online forms that we manage by the GP and the, um, uh, the, the nurse practitioner. Um, and on, our, on average, about six to eight um, of those will be converted to face-to-face. -face. So um, this is probably more for future reference, but here's some examples of the forms that we're sending out to patients. So you can follow those links and work through them. Um, so I've mentioned that bit um, already, so urgent care, 50, 55 to 100, okay, so, so slightly different, I've probably updated that on having a bad day in urgent care. Um, so 5, five to 15 of those will be managed via the AccuRx and, and 4 to 7 will be converted to face-to-face. -face. Um, and um, a working week, well, um, a six-session partner, and, and, and I do that because that's, that's the number of sessions that I do clinically. Um, I cover two of the urgent care sessions a week, so that's a day, um, and outside of that I will receive between 55 and 85 pre-consults. Um, I'll convert um, uh, about four to nine of those to a face-to-face -face, uh, appointment, so that will be my face-to-face -face clinic um, per week. Um, and I really enjoy those. I really enjoy the face-to-face -face appointments because I know that everybody that is coming into those appointments needs to be there. They need my time. I know why they're coming. I know what I need to do. They know what they're expecting from it. Um, I, I have time because it's not a, a really crammed uh, clinic. So I have time to spend with the patients that need my input um, the most. Um, and so in, in terms of getting that joy back of, of general practice, this has been brilliant. Um, 
apologies for the deliberate typo there. Um, so I do between 25 to 45 virtual consultations, that's telephone or video. The vast majority of those will be telephone. Um, and in terms of the, the overall number of forms that are, if you like, triaged out either administratively or to the additional roles or other staff members that we have, it's between 35 to 50%. Um, and um, I think that's a pretty good number really in terms of the, the overall workload where the GP used to be the single point of access um, and patients knew no better. Um, I, I think that's a pretty good number in terms of trying to achieve um, uh, um, a, a sort of good workload balance. Um, I, I also think that that is a work in progress. We are working up the pathways uh, a lot more so that we can offer a lot more in terms of management and treatment um, in, in terms of things like um, group consultations, be it face-to-face -face or virtually. We're looking at um, specific pathways where um, we can start to promote um, self-care, self-management when appropriate as well. Um, and again, that will be led by the information that the patient is giving us to steer them to what is the most appropriate form of, of um, management. So I, I want to sort of finish um, really on, on some stats. So doing it this way um, allows you to really get a grasp of what your workload is and the pattern of that workload that's coming to you. So this is interesting data. So we, we know what time of day the forms come in at and we've been able to shape our working day around this. So every day at 10 o'clock, we'll have a partners meeting that at the moment is um, uh, via Zoom, uh, sorry, Teams. Um, but also it's the opportunity for practice management to raise queries, concerns, problems for the day that needs to be resolved. Um, and we can do that with um, relative freedom from the pressure, knowing that actually um, the, the forms um, are, are going to be sort of coming in slightly later in the day. And so actually the, the, the bulk of our um, resources behind it are um, from then onwards um, so that we can sort of finish the day on par. The other thing is where in the week does it come in? Well, um, we don't switch our forms off, they're on over the weekend. Um, and um, even with that, we know that um, the forms are coming in at the beginning of the week and there's a slight dip in the middle of the week um, and that um, towards the end of the week, it, it, it um, sort of picks up a bit. I, I think that's not wholly represented in, in this graph. And I think that the Friday demand is, is perhaps sort of slightly different to the demand that you get in the rest of the week because of the, the, the weekend services, but it enables us to tailor the, um, the supply um, to meet that demand. Um, so we're trying to be a bit smart about it. The other thing is um, the, the demand, has it gone up? Um, I think it's probably a little bit too early for us to, to say really, we, we switched the forms on in March last year and um, demand at that point was um, at an all time low for us. Patients quickly learned how to use the online forms and we could see that demand increasing. Um, it's interesting looking at the second lockdown where there was a bit of a dip um, and that sort of rose again during the, the third lockdown. And I think that's where we felt um, where we, and I say we collectively in general practice felt like the demand was increasing. Um, but actually we've seen since the release of lockdown that demand has started to go down again. So um, it, it, in terms of looking at the overall demand, is it going up or is it a sort of fluctuation? But for us, I think it's probably too early to tell. Um, and so, yeah, okay, that, that letter, um, where do we go from that? Does that influence what we're doing at the moment? Well, we did a patient survey. Again, we, we were doing this before um, at Hancock 
and um, the uh, letter came out from NHS England and um, to ask our patients what they thought of what we were doing. And 70% of them said that they want the online access as, as the first point of contact. Um, it's easy, it's dead easy for them to get contact, to, uh, contact with us, so why wouldn't they? 25% um, said that they wanted telephone, and I suspect that's the, the cohort that are um, not terribly familiar with the, the, um, the online side of things. Um, and only 5% wanted the face-to-face -to, -face to be the first point of contact. Now, we've never refused a face-to-face -face appointment, or I've certainly not. Um, but I do want to use that time that they would otherwise be waiting to get that face-to-face -face appointment to gather information. Um, and I think that's um, selling it like that to the patient is, um, is difficult to argue against. So um, how are we performing? Um, so my practice is, is smaller than Hannah's. We've got a list size of just under 10,500. We've got um, 4.3 full-time work equivalent GPs. Um, we are currently down a GP. Um, and so I think it feels manageable at the moment, um, just, but I think it would have been completely unmanageable with a, uh, a GP down with the workload as it is at the moment. So um, for me, this is, this is absolutely essential to the way that we're working and um, trying to keep on top of that, that workload at the moment. Um, it gives us that buffer. And I think that when we have the, 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 the full complement of GPs, um, it, it will feel, I think, comfortable um, with that balance. So, and I think the way that we manage that workload, we turn 68% of um, patient contacts round within three days um, and 95% um, round within five to seven days. Um, we set ourselves that tough target. We never thought that it might be achievable or not, but we, we just um, set it as a target that we felt uh, we'd try and aspire to. So we've been quite pleased with that. Um, certainly better than the three to four week wait that um, patients used to have to get to us. So we feel that we're a big step closer to that happy ending. Um, our, our staff are, are happier um, and we think our patients are happier as well. Um, and so just to finish on that note, um, that there is further information about the forms that we are using. We use a company uh, called ProForms, um, but there's a website link there. And there's also my email address and also the email address of my senior partner who's given consent for me to share this, um, who's been instrumental in drawing up the, um, the, the, the pre-consults forms for us as well. Um, and that's it, so open to questions. Brilliant, thank you very much, Chris. That was um, really interesting as well. And it's quite refreshing to hear Hannah and Chris speaking so positively about this and um, really shows how being proactive rather than reactive can um, help you feel in charge rather than sort of under the pressures of um, what's dealt out to you. So thank you. So I'm sure there are lots of questions. For the questions, what I would like you to do, if you have a question, if you can put a message in the chat box, if you just put question in the chat box to everyone, and then I can go through chronologically asking you to put on your video and put on your um, mic. And then I will ask you to ask the questions to Hannah and um, Chris. So the, the question box. So Matthew Sword, you've got a question. Do you want to put on your mic and video? And Yeah. Um, it's really about, it's about the kind of the data protection side of things. So um, in terms of... <laughs> messaging back i was slightly anxious about sending too much by things like accurix where patients don't expressly consent to um having clinical information sent to them i was just wondering what your your view on 
that was do you just send messages with sort of full clinical details on the basis that they've sent an e-consult so they kind of know what they're getting themselves into can i answer <laughs> so um we we did the work up for this and, and realized that was a concern um very early on in the whole process we went out to the patients to ask for their consent um, and so we specifically have consent to be able to communicate with them via text message. There are some people who haven't given that consent. They're a very small proportion. And, and for those, we'll use the telephone contact with them. You're meant to have consent for specific episodes. I just want to say, but you feel that blank consent is okay. If basically, if you've just said, we consent to be contacted by the surgery, then that's fine. Yeah, so, so you want, uh, I, I'm, I have to go back, but I'm pretty sure on the forms that we're using, it's it's consent to contact you back. I think that's where e-consult, one of the problems with e-consult is it's, it's not quite that explicit on the form, which is makes me feel slightly uncomfortable. But then at the same time, they sent a message, they're giving you their mobile number. It kind, it's kind of implied consent that they can get back to you, I, I always feel, but my partners are slightly more anxious about it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the view we've taken with eConsult is that they've contacted via eConsult. Um, so it's implied consent that you can email them back um, or, or text them back. And, and we're so regularly checking numbers all the time that we've got up to date text, texting consent with people um, at every contact we possibly can. Um, but I think messaging back, it, it's generally it, it does need to be a short message and I wouldn't put any sensitive clinical information in because it, it obviously that's that's not appropriate so it, it's only if it is something um appropriate and short enough to go in a message um i think if it if you're wanting to say or needing to say more than that then it probably needs to be a phone call um so i think there's there's some you know sensibility around that as well so, so i i mean i i also think just to sort of clarify and I, i'm not sure i've really said this that um the we the forms the information that we gather is via a a smart form uh, and so the link to that smart form is sent out via AcuRx. so it's not actually transferring that information um and that that smart form is then um submitted via the practice email address Okay, and going back to my question earlier to Hannah, does it populate QOF data directly to the notes? No, I've just done, while uh, Chris was presenting, I've just double checked with my PM on that. <laughs> just to check I'm not speaking out of turn. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, so that is all entered by our administrators. Um, so eConsult does, I think at the end of most eConsults, it will take smoking alcohol um, for everybody. Um, and the blood pressure review ones that come through that that just need entering by an administrator. Lovely and I wondered if Chris's system is different I mean it would be the ultimate system. Yeah it, it, it doesn't integrate with the the system we we do have the administrators that will um, be checking the the email address constantly and um, scanning on um, they will be populating information like that for us for for stuff like quaff. Um, yeah, I mean it be, it would be um, good to be able to get to that point, but I think that's probably something we'll work on in the future. Lovely. If we move on to Dan Ferret, you've got a question. Do you want to put your mic on and video on? Thank you. More a question for Hannah than Chris. Sorry, Chris. It's just this is an e-consult specific question. 
Um, how do you deal with the consults that come in saying, I only want this specific GP to answer it, or have you managed to turn that feature off? Uh, no, we kind of quite like that. <laughs> um, we quite like them because we're, we're starting to use it more for continuity. So where patients are struggling to access the, the bottleneck on the phones, um, we've got, we're now booking um, two weeks ahead. Um, we, Pre-COVID, we used to have four-week booking like Chris um, did too. Um, and we've obviously moved away from that um, with COVID. But so if, we, if they, we, we're encouraging people to, to say on there if they want a specific GP, and it does ask that, and we'll try and book with that GP and encourage people that it's better to wait a few days and speak to the right person who knows them. Um, and patients really like that we're facilitating that. So that's actually a really good thing. Okay, thank you. Lovely. And um, Tori Boyd, do you want to ask a question? Hi. Um, this I've got three questions for um, Chris, if that's okay. Um, one was, um, how many ARS roles have you got at the moment um, to kind of facilitate you signposting appropriately? Um, one was, how do you cover each other's leave? It, within the pod, have you got kind of paired... Um, partners um, and the last one was kind of about how your um, salary doctors and I don't know if you're a training practice how your trainees kind of fit into that working uh, pattern. Um, just remind me what the first question was again. Um, I can't. <laughs> it was so, it's about um, how, it, how you cover your, how many ARS... Um... That's right, yes, that was it. So um, we have a, um, a half-time physio to, to, to cover the PCN at the moment. We're looking at, you know, supplementing that team. Um, we try and make sure the patients that get to... I mean, so my, my particular interest is MSK, as, as Camilla will know. Um, and so I'm really interested about um, trying to navigate the patient through to the most effective part of the MSK pathway. Um, and so um, actually um, uh, there's a large major a large portion of patients that don't need to see a physio or a GP. And that figure is probably about 32% of patients that, that contact us. So um, that, that, uh, uh, there is a large proportion that do, but that contact initially only needs to be relatively light touch through um, sort of uh, you know, telephone and video. The, the other side, um, the proportion that really needs to come and see us is only about 13%. So um, I, I think that un, un, until I can get that implemented across the PCN, I think we're going to struggle even with a full complement of resources for physio. Um, we're certainly doing it in practice, any, in our practice anyway. But um, we have access to uh, clinical pharmacists. Um, and so we'll put medication reviews, uh, queries um, through to them. Um, we have access to the social prescribers. So um, anybody that um, we feel would benefit from that sort of third sector, um, we will direct towards them. Um, we have access to um, the, uh, we have a home visiting team as well that's part of, we've included part of that. Um, I have heard of other practices that have got the health and wellbeing coaches. I think they're a brilliant idea. I'd really like to have them in as well. Um, I think the other thing is sometimes you get the forms through where you don't quite know what it's about. 
there's something there that's really it's just a bit willy is it one of those sort of off the cuff ones that are done late at night after a few beers or, or is there more there that needs to be clarified uh, and that was the idea behind um trying to use the the, the healthcare support workers for the um uh, the body, mind, and soul, and and the, the what we call the health, the um, wellness questions to really, and we got some really sort of probing questions. Um, and again, it's all done with consent. Um, the patients generally feel like they're getting a much more tailored service, and they're getting a lot more access to to healthcare. Um, the other thing you asked was, um, what about covering annual leave? Um, yes, good question. So I'm covering leave at the moment. Um, we, we're buddied at the moment. Um, and so I've got a counterpart. Um, so the, the workload numbers that I've got for this week have doubled. Um, again, it would be completely unmanageable if we weren't doing it the way that we were. And, and of course, in days of old, um, you just would stop that at the front door. The patient would have to wait longer until that patient returned from, um, for annual leave. So now the patient is able to access that care. Um, we're looking at whether we're going to do this moving forwards and whether we will go to uh, a pro rata for why that whilst that GP is on annual leave. Um, the other thing is training roles. So we've had physician associates, we're a training practice, we've had registrars um, and they will sit in with the urgent care team uh, and they'll work alongside um, and they'll also be incorporated into the pods and so they'll they'll learn it all. Um, and you know, by the end of it, be um, proficient in you know how to, to work in both domains. Thank you. And, and, and on, on that note, there are quite a lot of um, ARS staff who don't potentially have prescribing. So potentially, does that help if you are working alongside in a GP or a prescriber for your physicians' associates, for example, or your um, paramedics that you can then do the prescribing for them yes yeah absolutely so we, we've actually um the, the i mean the, the the contact those those huddles those pods the the um time that we get to meet together are again in in sort of evolution and as the team grows we'll be um incorporating more people into those teams um, and it will be a chance to solve issues like that the, the other thing is the urgent care side of things where it needs to be sort of you know, much quicker turnaround and um, uh, interactive. Um, we've got an urgent care suite. So we've got a large, uh, really lucky to have quite a large consultation room um, that we we are now able to hold, host um, three people that are doing, uh, that will maximum be doing the, the urgent care on any given day. And um, yeah, that, stuff like that will be sorted out within the room. Brilliant. Um, Samantha Atherton, would you like to ask your question? Hi, uh, this is for Hannah. Um, Chris has kind of covered how you do it with your surgery. Um, we've not really massively adopted e-consults. Um, they're starting to increase in number, but I swear most of the ones I get are hilariously vague with not quite enough info on, with not quite what the patient's hoping for from it. And I just wondered how you, A, deal with that, and B, how you've kind of educated your patient group to use it in a useful way. Yeah, good question. I mean, it, it very much depends on what they select on on the front page. I don't know if you've had a plane, you can go through and do one yourself as a as a dummy your patient. Um, so yeah, if they select a symptom specific, it, it's really detailed. Um, it's got all the red flags in there. I think it's a great history and 
e-consult are really pro kind of you know there's no need to reiterate that if that's in the record that's the history it's fine you don't need to redocument it all um there are the vague ones um i mean i'd say the the key thing that i do like about e-consult is that the first question is what do you want to achieve I, I can't remember the exact wording but it's basically what do you want to get from this um and i hone in on that immediately um because that normally gets you to to what they want um not but, in our lot <laughs> So the, the okay, first okay. question is often full of vague random, then it's what, you know, the what, what are your symptoms, what are you hoping for? And it's okay. most of the time, it's not useful info. Okay, that, no, that's fair enough, isn't it? and it's really population dependent and, and education dependent, isn't it? Um, so I think there's, there's definitely a role there for an administrator to call them back. Um, so as long as it's been looked at, um, or as Chris was suggesting, you know, an HCA role or a nurse to call them back, it doesn't always need to be a GP and just sort of pre-triage it a bit more and get more, gather more information. Um, and we'll do the same thing as, as Chris was saying, as in getting book something, a phone call later in the day that needs a photo, the administrator will get a photo first. Um, so that's all ready for the GP on the record. Um, so yeah, so I, I think you can do more information gathering, but it, it would be du duplicating work. So it may be as your patients get more and more used to them, they, they get more specific, but yeah, not a perfect answer. <laughs> and how do you manage? Sometimes you get three pages, there are so many questions and it takes a long time to filter through all those questions and make sure you haven't missed something that's hidden that's then documented on the notes that you may be sort of liable for if, if it's missed. Um, I guess because we we're so used to looking at them, you, it, you know, it flags the red flags um, very visibly in the actual form, um, so they are quite obvious. Um, so it does feel safe in that sense. Um, and I think any, you know, the other thing is is just going back to basics when you're triaging a hundred e consoles. That you know, I I get up and have a walk around and talk to someone else halfway through because <laughs> because you're going to miss stuff um, staring at a screen, uh, which we've done so much more of. Um, so that that can always happen. Um, but I do I do feel it's laid out quite safely, um, and you're able to scan through and, and see the red flags quite easily. We've got a few more questions and only five minutes left, so I'll run through them quickly. I'll ask you, Hannah, first, what's been the main benefits to your practice from using eConsults? How do you monitor the impact it's had? What indicators do you use to measure it? And have you had to employ more staff since introducing eConsults? Uh, I will try and answer that as quick as I can. Uh, I, I can't give you stats. Our practice manager certainly could and, and has analysed as we've gone through um, in terms of we've looked at conversion rates um, and numbers received and uh, yeah efficiency um, so I, I think we just find it a really effective way of patients communicating with us. Um, we have employed more staff but I don't think that's because um, I don't I think the work would be coming through in a different way. I don't think there's more work because of eConsult it's just Yes, we have employed administrators specifically to deal with it, but those administrators would be doing something else or they would be on the phones or, you know, I don't think that's additional cost, is essentially. And the administrators are probably freeing up GP time and saving the GPs from having the um, work. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, have you got anything to add to that? 
Yeah, I, I mean, we're doing, the practice is doing a lot more than it used to do. And so have we got more stuff with it um, marginally? <laughs> I think that we felt that we'd probably um, be able to release a whole load of the reception team from the phones and things, but actually we, we pulled those into doing the pod admins uh, sort of side of things. Um, and, you know, upskilled. Um, it's been complicated a little bit by COVID and so we have a concierge at the front door rather than a, a sort of receptionist. Um, so I think it's a different way of working. I think it, so the staff are happier doing what they're doing now, I think. It, it's demanding and it's, it's hard, but it's not the same as being run to that on the phone. Brilliant. And um how chris this is a question for you how do you request for visits and care home reviews in res with respect to the pod system yeah so um most of the the home visit reviews come through the urgent care um sort of form um so the same day stuff and that will be um um decided by the the the, the urgent care sort of team on the day um i think everybody's home visiting sort of teams work slightly differently we have to get ours booked on the day before 11 otherwise you're not going to be guaranteed of a visit um you, sometimes i have to go out and, and do one if it's a late one i'm worried about more often than not it, it can wait until the next day when it gets booked in um in terms of the routine um i do very few the ones that i do are the ones i really want to do um namely the sort of end of life and so i tend not to put them through the the home visiting team unless it's it has to be and would prefer to sort of do some of those myself. And um, Massam Mayer has a question. Hi, oh, yeah. um, for Hannah, um, do you have a ratio of how much GP time or appointment time you lose uh, where uh, in terms of ratio of e-consults? So how long a GP sit out uh, for when allocating a certain number of e-consults if we're trying to extrapolate to a big surgery? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for our list size of just over 17,000, we're triaging between 8.30 to, to 10, which is when we have team uh, clinical coffee meeting. Um, so that is adequate time to process up to, I would say, just over, between 100 and 150 um, e-consults. Um, bank holiday weekends obviously we're, we're swamped with a lot more and we have blocked out the whole morning um, for a GP to, to triage all of those um, because you're going back to so many as well and, and processing the quick ones such as fit notes um, you know and, and simple queries um, so yeah that, that has needed the whole morning of a, G, a, a session of a GP time essentially. Does that GP go back and do phone calls after they, they've done their e-consult triaging sort of thing do you are they back in the system doing our appointments? Uh, so, yeah, so the rest of the session is then face-to-face um, -face or, or telephone appointments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's a split session. Thank you. Great. I think Sue Adams asked, Chris, how you manage patients who don't want to or can't access online forms. And I think you've already answered that, saying that they go through via reception and the reception fill out the forms and then they're processed that way. Um, Chris Castle has written to everyone. Um, Beth has asked, how many admin staff do you employ for coordinating e-consults? I'm coordinating 60 days solely. That was from Beth Trowbridge. Yeah, um, so 60 days um, 
it depends on what you're doing with all of those 60. So I, I have to be honest, I don't know that figure off the top of my head. And I think we're increasing it slightly. And that's partly because I share a pod administrator with another pod. So um, they're, they're covering two. Um, in terms of the time that I, as a GP, I get, it's, it's half an hour. Um, and I suspect the sort of processing side of things is, is probably another couple of hours. So um, in terms of how many my pod administrators dealing with a day, it's, it's, um, it, it is probably double that, um, I hazard a guess, but also they're not scanning those forms on. So they, they will have some another administrator that will scan those forms on. Um, and um, so they're doing the sort of the actioning of it, but it's not the complete part of the overall uh, management. Camilla, you're on mute. And then, so thank you. And I think there was a question about e-consults don't currently ask if it's a routine or an urgent question. And that's obviously something that would be helpful going forward. I've got one more question from Tori Boyd and then I'm going to um, wrap it up. Thank you. Sorry, another one for me. Um, just would either, uh, sorry, Hannah, I missed the very start, so I'm not sure where you're based, but I think Chris, if you're down in Portsmouth, is it? Yeah. Would, would you be happy if uh, we wanted to come and spend some time in your surgery and see how it works? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Contact and, and we can arrange. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much. I mean, I think that gives us lots of food for thought. I think it's very clear that the old system of booking in consultations is outdated and we can't just slot in all the new asks of us and new ways of working into the old system and um, innovation is needed and it's just having the time and space in order to do that and getting the right team on board um, by the sounds of it. So thank you very much. Um, there'll be the links to the um, information as per Chris mentioned earlier um, linked to the LMC Wessex LMC education page um, do share it with other people. The recording will be on the Wessex LMC education page to watch back at a later date. And um, do look out for future education coming up. As Chris was talking about, we've got an MSK webinar coming up on Wednesday, the 30th of June at 9.30 in the morning for an hour. And it's talking about pre-consulting MSK um, conditions so that we can signpost appropriately and maximally utilize our PCN staff, GPs, and um, self-help, etc., appropriately. There's also a half-day cancer and palliative care webinar on the 1st of July. There's a personality disorders and mental health day um, hour on the 16th of July, and there are lots of other offerings, so keep an eye on that. So thank you very much, and I will sign off. <laughs>